Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the all-new Roker Report Exiles Preview Podcast in association with Vaux Brewery. My name is Richard Spate and I'm in my little hut on the side of a mountain called Carnhead Davith in North Wales. And I'm joined down the line today by Bomber from Gloucester. You right there, Bomber? Yeah, very good, Rich. Here again. People are going to get sick to death of my voice. but No, will do, I'm sure. But we do have something fresh and new for everyone. We've also got Jimmy Lawson, who is in Oxford, who's not really been on the pod main so far or on the uh, the Exiles pod. You right there, Jimmy? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well, yeah. I've now done the studio pod. I'm losing my Exile virginity today. And I've done the extra podcast, which might be a first in terms yeah, of taking all three. So that's nice. Yeah, and you did the preview as well. Yeah, yeah, man of man of many talents. Um, yeah, getting around. And you've got our preview this week coming up. You can both relax tonight, safe in the knowledge that as you're recording with me, this pod will never see the light of day. So <laughs> go, on, go crazy, say what you like. Um, That's the only reason I agree to it. Absolutely. So um, whilst the uh, result and overall performance of the men's team at Portsmouth on Saturday was dispiriting, to say the least, uh, last weekend also saw Sunderland ladies' team follow their FA Cup victory over Watford with a 4-0 stonking home win over Derby at Hebbentown on Sunday. The lasses, let's hope they're going to continue this unbeaten run in the league and the Cups and get one step closer to their rightful place back at the top of the women's game. They're away at uh, Hull City on Sunday the 9th, and then they've got their big tie, the FA Cup fifth round. That's last 16 tie with their WSL side, um, Birmingham City, on the 16th. So, away their lasses. It just, just goes to show, though, Rich, doesn't it, that they're probably, they should have never really been put in that league in the first place. I know there's a lot of kind of talk around it, but, I mean, if if ever something's been proven as a wrong decision, this. Well, yeah, it was all financial, wasn't it? Yeah. In the end, they weren't they weren't given the support at the end of the, uh, the Ella Short re- um, yeah. regime. And then, well... They're the rebuilding from from tier three, which mm. is which is what the men's team are hoping to do as well, I guess. But uh, Melrose side are, are really going for it this season, and I think that game against uh, Birmingham City will be a, a real test for them because Birmingham not having the best season in WSL, and uh, obviously Sunderland are on top form. So I think in terms of cup tie, it's mm. all, all all you're ever going to want. But on this week's uh, jam packed show, on our agenda, we have a chance for us to give our perspectives on what maybe needs to change after the men's team uh, at Portsmouth. 
and a view of your perspectives on the transfer window. Um, we've got an interview with uh, Irish black cat Peter Sullivan, who will be at the International Fan Day on Saturday, and we'll have a little bit of news about that too, an exclusive, I think. We've got Playing Away, uh, a game to warm your spirits, and uh, not that it's particularly cold yet this winter, which is a bit weird, isn't it? Mm. And then uh, Jimmy has got a preview ahead of Ipswich Town's match on Saturday with the Blue Monday podcast. So, lads, let's... Uh, Get your thoughts on what you think needs to change after this weekend. Now we've had a, a few days to reflect. Jimmy, you do the report ratings uh, and you were pretty scathing about some of the performances at the weekend. What do you think we need to change? I think the main thing, because we're playing another quality team, is we've just got to be more resilient. When we're playing these good teams, there's going to be times where we're going to have to soak up pressure where maybe we're not going to be on the front foot, where maybe we're going to have to absorb pressure. We just have to do it much better than we did at the weekend. I think, really, that was the most disappointing aspect of the game for me, was the way the second, the second goal went in, the whole team fell apart. So I think the big one, sort of going forward, with with Oxford coming up, with Ipswich coming up, is that we've got to have a bit more resilience about us. We've got to to take a bit more pride in our defending. We've got to concentrate a bit more, sort of, in our individual battles and we need to communicate better as well I think both goals especially the first one there's a real lack of communication from set pieces that cost us so collectively as a team the main thing I'd be hoping to see just a much much better effort defensively just take more pride in our defending as we sort of have done really on Parkinson it's, it's just refining that, that sort of tenacity and intensity that we'll need when we're playing the other good teams in League One that can really hurt us. Yeah, I I, I was uh, surprised, really, that it was looked so shambolic when I've seen the highlights, given that we, well, until then, had the best defence statistically in the league. Um, Bomber, what were your thoughts about our defensive performance and like maybe what, what needs to change, keeping in mind that we, we're going to have to make a change? Yeah, so I think I think change is inevitable. I've been calling for it for a couple of weeks, the need to change up. But I, I do accept that there ne- hasn't necessarily been the strength in depth to justify changing it up. I'm not the only person who said that, you know, Max Power and Dobson have needed a bit of a break. It was uncharacteristic, wasn't it, defensively? Parkinson seems to have got that bit, at least, you know, pretty bang on with the however many clean sheets in a row and you know we've just generally not been conceding goals so to concede two which I do consider and I think everybody considers to be quite sloppy goals is quite uncharacteristic now but also it could have it could have quite easily been more um I know I know people make a lot about the 09 chance if that had gone in if we'd have got the penalty etc but not a lot's been made of the fact that John Marcus Mr Sitter McLaughlin had to pull off a couple of really good point blank saves. It could have, just as it could have been one all or two one, um, it could have quite easily also been three nil or four nil. And we haven't looked like conceding anything more than one goal a game for the last nine games, let alone three or four. Um, so yeah, it was uncharacteristic. I think it is a signal that things do need to change. There's just a lot of tired legs out there, and to play Wednesday on that pitch at Tranmere and then to play it Saturday and travel down to. Um, uh, to Fratton Park, I think it was just a bridge too far for for a number of the players. So as the results have been good to, up to now, Parkinson hasn't really had an excuse to change it. He's got that excuse now, and I think he needs to take full advantage of it. Yeah, I, I mean, what, one of the things that I noticed just from the highlights and from listening to the the audio commentary on Saturday was 
that it seemed like when we were put under a bit of pressure, when them fullbacks were pushed back, and I, I noticed they were, you know, they were getting crosses into the box. Um, both of the free kicks in the first half, one that resulted in the goal, came from O9 being put under a lot of pressure. And well, it, it brings us back to maybe some of the lack of strength and depth, the fact that he isn't a, a, a specialist uh, right back O9, as much as I love him. It, maybe defensively, he does lack. What do you think about that, Jimmy? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a fair point. And there were times where we saw before sort of last season where 09 struggled a bit I think for the most part the good outweighs the bad with 09 but yeah no it does it does sort of highlight recruitment again 09 was set to move back into midfield this season the reason he's playing as a wing back is because McLaughlin's been a bit of a disaster and that was one of the no-brainer signings sort of of all the transfers we've made in sort of the last 18 months you think 27 year old guy who's been in the league one team of the year before that was one that looks like an absolute no-brainer and he's been so bad really at both ends of the pitch that 09 is our best option I think one thing as well I defend 09 with Ronan Curtis is one of the best forwards in the league and you're right he, he gave 09 the runaround in the game he absolutely dominated against 09 but how many times is 09 going to be coming up against um, one of the best forwards a guy who got 10 assists and 10 goals last year looks well on track to do that again there aren't that many players like him in League One. So for the most part, having 09 there with his energy, with his tenacity, he's not going to be exposed in the same way he was against the Portsmouth team that can take the game to us in a way that other teams can't. So I think that problems with our recruitment, there are problems with our strength and depth. But to a degree, Portsmouth are sort of, if not uniquely situated to take advantage of that. They're, they're one of the few teams who really can ruthlessly attack us like they did on Saturday. I don't think we're going to see too many more Luca 9 horror shows between now and May. I thought Bomber raised a good point as well. Sort of one of the dirty secrets of our run has been how reluctant Parkinson has been to use our squad. I think part of that is due to sort of a lack of depth and lack of trusted options. I think part of that's Parkinson being too conservative as well. I think he really did probably play our key players too much without a break over Christmas. I think he's probably been too reluctant to bed in and quickly enough. And then there's also issues with sort of our, our striker options as well. So I feel like part of it is it we've got a very conservative manager who doesn't really want to use the squad available to him. And part of it is, like you boys said, some, some holes in the squad as well. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see sort of how Parkinson wrestles with sort of his instincts to be conservative and getting a tune out of enough players to get promoted this season. That's going to be one of the more interesting developments going forward really I think um, one one hole that's definitely going to have to be filled is Joel Lynch um, I mean we had a bit of an update today on his on his injury and um, thankfully he's alive because um, there was a rumour going around that it might be a lot worse than uh, than it's turned out to be uh, according to Phil Smith from the Echo there are no signs of a serious head injury but I guess we'd expect the um, what's called the concussion protocol concussion to kick protocols. in uh, yeah, and not to be available at the weekend he did however get away with one himself when he slammed John Marcus into the post and that video has emerged maybe the, the disciplinary committee at the FA might, might let him off the fact that he got knocked out a few minutes later I'm not sure um, but so this might be gonna... it might be my Sunderland tinted glasses Rich but I think Marcus has made more of a meal of that than perhaps it actually was he's given him a little shove and he's like yeah okay he's hit the post but then he's kind of like thrown himself backwards as if it was like the hardest shove in the world he's just Lynch has used his own momentum to kind of 
edge him into the post and he's not smashed his face or anything like that. It's, yeah, I think it's a bit of a mountain out of a molehill, that one. So what do, we, what do we think in terms of options that we've got, though? Because Lynch is a left-footed <clears throat> central defender and as far as I'm aware, is, is Ozturk left-footed? No, no, Lynch no. is the only one. Ozturk's so, going to be no-footed. And, and so that kind of exposes, I guess, the, again, the lack of depth in terms of that has been the key for that that three four three or whatever yeah. you want to call the system has been having the a left footed um centre back on the left or a right footed ball playing centre back on the right of the of that three. I don't know what what your perspectives on on that and how we might deal with it. You may be doing a slight disservice to um Tom Flanagan in the sense that he's played a few games at left centre back. It's it's not the ideal position for him. But he has he has played a few games in that role. You'd ideally want a left footed centre back in your team. That's one of the issues when and one of the more baffling things about when Ross started playing it that he moved Flanagan out there when Baldwin was the one who was our left centre back last season. I always thought that was a bit strange. But I think I think Flanagan's done okay in the odd points he has been called upon and I know certain Sunderland fans who actually think even though he's not left footed, he's a better option than Lynch there anyway. So I think the system can work without giving too much away defensively with Flanagan in, but I'll uh, nip out and let Bomber carry on his thought as well. To be fair, Jimmy, I was um, I was probably going to say the same thought, sort of thing because well, there's, there's two obvious things. One would be to say suggest that we change the formation and go four four two, four three three, something like that, and I, I wouldn't be an advocate of that. So the only other thing is to change the personnel, and the only real option on that side would be Flanagan because he's played there before. You know, you, you could move. Willis to the to the left hand side and put Oz Turkey in at right centre back, possibly. So there are there are options there, but effectively, irrespective of what you do, you are not going to have a inverted comma specialist left footer um, in that position. So I think it all comes down to actually who Parkinson feels will play better or perform better alongside, well, assuming Bailey Wright and uh, and Willis. So I, I think the fact that somebody's going to go in there that's not left footed you just kind of have to accept and kind of make do with with the rest of what you've got effectively. Yeah, the other well, thing I, as well I'd oh sorry. Um yeah the other thing as well I'd mention is that I'm not even sure Lynch was playing that well. I mean I think most of his best performances were in those initial sort of four to five games he had in a four playing alongside Jordan Willis. Like there's times where I watch him and I think, why are you not better at passing? Why are you not better at bringing the ball out from the back. I find him a really frustrating player to watch. So I'm not sure that the the drop-off's going to be that high because I'm not sure he's actually been playing that well. Well, I have to say, um, when I saw him at Tranmere last Wednesday, I thought he was appalling. I mean, it it wasn't easy to play football on that pitch at all for anyone, but it did look at times like he was scared of the ball. To yeah. be honest, he's, and, and... he's been like that for the last six, seven weeks or so, Rich. You know, he, just to carry on with what Jimmy was saying, like when he first arrived at the club and he was playing alongside Willis in a four, we were looking at him saying, Oh, do you know what? He can play a little bit, he can get the ball down, he's got a bit of confidence. Certainly, the games I've seen him, as time's gone on, he's just done more and more of pick the ball up, lump it into a channel, pick the ball up, lump it in, out of play, pick the ball up, lump it into the other channel. I can't recall a time where he's successfully played a series of passes into our centre midfield which you know effectively that's not what he's there for now he was he was brought in because he had a bit of experience he supposedly had a bit of quality on the ball so I don't know if it's a confidence thing but as time's gone on and obviously during that time our results haven't been great he's just become more and more of a pump it into the channels type of defender which isn't really what 
we need now. So yeah, I mean, if, even if he was fit, I would probably, or you could probably make a case for him to to come out of the team in any case. Ozturk, I think, had done a, a, a perfectly good job back there. I think he's been unlucky to have been dropped. So even if Lynch was fit, I wouldn't have been adverse to him coming out and Ozturk going in and, and us playing with the three of Ozturk, uh, Wright and Willis. So is there anywhere else on the pitch, lads, that you feel that um, we need to change it up a bit? There's been a lot of talk about freshening things up maybe getting scouring in but for me um, one of the one of the disappointing things in the last three games or so has been Chris Maguire's form apart from his wonderful ball in the box against Tranmere it was telegraphed mm. that it was going to you know that space was right in front of the uh, near post it was always going to go there and he, and he put it there on a on a postage stamp for, for Wake's head but what what do we think about a bit further up the pitch well that's been that's been Maguire's Sunderland career isn't it you know he, he has a good three or four games and he we call him the king and then he has a bad three or four games and we're begging for him to be dropped and I think that's just been the story of Maguire's career and it will continue to we said it before he's a league one player league one players are inherently inconsistent that's why they play in league one the key thing for Parkinson is to recognize when that form is dropping off take him out of the firing line uh, until such time as you know he starts to, his form starts to pick up again he has those consistent peaks and troughs and he's he's very much i think anyway he's very much in one of those troughs so i think he needs to come out um for for a rest if nothing else you know he does work hard when he's on the pitch it must be quite mentally draining for him to be the the shit house that he is uh, consistently and yeah we, he's he's not performing as we know he can so he, for me he needs to come out and I think we do have options or at least one or two options there that we can replace him with at least in the short term for me the biggest thing even if we persisted with Maguire is that centre midfield and I, I'm sure 99.9% of the listeners will agree a change of Dobson for Scowan. Dobson's not been great for the last few weeks that same centre midfield partnership I think has played pretty much every minute of our nine game unbeaten run and it's just too much football for them you can see you can see that you can see how by how easily we were getting overrun the last couple of games and how they were getting bullied off the ball so that needs to change that needs freshening up it's nothing to do with ability in my opinion it's not even necessarily anything to do with attitudes or anything like that they're just tired and leggy and just need a break and of the two Dobson looks like the one he's, who's suffering the most Jimmy, you um, you gave Chris Maguire a four at the weekend and and Lyndon Gooch a six. So uh, there was obviously a, a big contrast between their performances. Do you do you agree that's time for him to have a rest? I'm really torn on it. I'm really torn on it. I mean, I'm in complete agreement with you guys that he's not playing well enough. He hasn't played well enough really since the Doncaster game. But it's it's what we came back to, what we sort of started the conversation off with, really. It's it's a lack of depth last season when Maguire wasn't playing well. We had Aidan McGeezy, we had George Honeyman. There was a period this time last year where we uh, drew 1-1 with Oxford and Maguire wasn't in the squad against his old team. And it just feels as if we're so much more dependent on him now. I mean, Semenyo came on and he looks extremely raw. He didn't really look ready. Obviously, he came on when we were 2-0 down and he just couldn't pick up the pace of the game. Maybe he'd look better as a starter. What more again had another one of those sub-appearances where you're just sort of pulling your hair out, wishing he'd stay on his feet more, wishing he'd sort of toughen up a bit. And it's it's just, it's really tough. I mean, they're really the only two I can think of that, that Parkinson would consider starting instead of Maguire. And I don't love either option. I mean, I'm in complete agreement that Scoen should start, but it's it's tricky with Maguire because I don't I don't love other options. The impression I get from Phil Parkinson's substitution patterns is that 
he's not overly convinced either. So it's it's a really tricky one. Regardless of how good or bad Maguire is playing, with the ball 18, 19, 20, up to 25 yards out in front of goal, you know, you back him to get it on target and back him to pop up with a goal, irrespective of how bad he's playing. So you drop him, you know, all of a sudden, who's your who's your free kick taker, I guess? I guess it would fall to Gooch. Yeah, which is a big drop-off in quality. And his corners have been... Mm pretty good for the last sort of two months or so his, his deliveries into the box have been well they've been one of our best attacking weapons so I think that's yeah I think that's a very good point to race do we know where, how far off Embleton is I know he had a bit of a setback because he's for me he's the exciting option in those kinds of in those inside left inside right uh, positions that Maguire and, and Gooch are playing in at the moment I think if I remember rightly Parkinson had said that he'd had a setback so we're not going to see him for a few weeks now obviously a few weeks could mean three it could mean five it could mean six but given that his reluctance to to make those sorts of changes and given the fact that we've got Scowen Scowen however we're deciding that we're going to pronounce it um in the squad I think even if he was fit I don't think we would necessarily see him albeit for perhaps the last five minutes of a game last 10 minutes of a game um I think that he's got an he'll have an awful lot of work to do to win Parkinson over uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see him in the under-23s for a good four or five weeks before we even consider him for the, for the, for the first team squad. Yeah. So um, the lads on the main pod had a good uh, chat with, with uh, Kieran Brady about the, the transfer window overall. I mean, there was a lack of any significant spending in that window. We were beaten to a signing of Liam Boyce by uh, fan owned hearts and, gives a uh, lie to the claim that some people have made that uh, fan-owned clubs can't sign players. But what are your views overall, lads, of the success or, or lack of in the, in the transfer market that we've had over the, the month that has just passed? I think we've done okay. I think my issue is that we're looking at Scoan. We think there's a good chance he's going to improve the first team. I'm a bit worried that we've improved our depth without overly improving the quality of our first team squad. I was talking myself into Kyle Lafferty up until about five o'clock on Saturday where I was sort of in complete horror as to how bad he was in the second half against Portsmouth. And now I've got all my fears about signing an overhill player who's had attitude problems and fallen out with managers before. And I'm, I'm worried about that signing as well and, and where are the goals going to come from? Have we added enough goals? I'm very sceptical of Semenyo. Maybe, maybe I'm being unfair. To me, he's a player who did all right in League Two, didn't do outstanding in League Two, who's still a teenager. And I just kind of feel as if he's skipping a step in his career progression coming to Sunderland. Like if we're signing a player whose only professional football experience or his main professional football experience is in League Two, I'd want that guy to have teared up the league. I'd want that guy to have been one of the top scorers in that division, to have been one of the best players in that division. And I just look at his statistics, I look at his debut for us and I just I'm not sure he's going to be ready to to succeed and contribute and my worry is that we've increased our squad but we haven't added enough quality or enough goals which is really what we need if we're going to go up. Bomo what what are your thoughts on the transfer window? Well without knowing how these players are going to perform because obviously I could I could turn around and say yeah I think they're all great signings and then I could have 100 people come back to me and go Will Grigg. Um, 
I think I, I do disagree with you a little bit on the Semenyo thing, Jimmy. Not because I know what he's like as a player. I'll be honest, I'd not, never really heard of him until we were linked with him. Um, but I think being concerned about the signing after 20 minutes or so of a debut when we're already 2-0 down against a promotion rival and he's not even been at the club for 24 hours, um, that w- I wouldn't be concerned with him at this stage. If we if he's coming on uh, uh, off the bench consistently two, three, four games in a row and not making an impact or being another Duncan Watt more than than yeah um i i could start being concerned i think for for me if you take away the fact that we've not paid a transfer fee for anyone i believe except for scowan um because i don't i'm not a great believer that you know you only make good signings if you pay money for them um i think far too much is made on the fact that oh you know we sign these players on freeze or on loans um if they make a positive contribution and help us get get where we want to be you know i don't care whether they're free transfers loans whatever um, so I don't buy into that. I think if you looked at the start when we when we finished December, and we were in that run that we were, or we just um, finished the Bolton game, for example, we're saying we need five players. We need a centre back. We need uh, a left back. We need another striker. We need some cover in centre midfield, and we need another wide player. Um, if you if you look at that objectively, those um, that remit has been fulfilled. All right, we've not paid anywhere near the amount of money that people were throwing around saying, oh, we're going to use all this £10 million loan to go and sign players. But we've covered those positions. And I don't think on the face of it, what am I trying to say? So I, I think it's done more than just provide cover. You know, we've signed a, a Welsh international on the left-hand side to provide competition for Denver Hume. So one, yeah, they're, they're, going to spur each, yeah, they're going to spur each other on, I'd like to think. That said, um, McLaughlin is also an, an Irish international and he's not particularly... Um, flattered us um so i think that's provided competition i think scarron's certainly provided competition bailey wright will provide competition so we we filled those five places that we said needed filling and until we get three four five games in to them to their tenures here we can't really say anything other than we said that this is what we needed and the club has delivered it if they turn out to be all donkeys then yeah we can argue and say well you know we've gone taken a gamble and it's not paid off but for the time being we've got the exact player well, not the exact players but the exact positions filled that we wanted to so I don't think we can argue all, all that much at the moment we just have to kind of see how it pans out well he's got some choices to make for for Saturday doesn't he and yeah and as we've we've mentioned the next home game is is Ipswich and they had a bit of a, a tough time on Saturday as well so I think it's it's a really big game in our season uh on Saturday uh, the 8th of February uh, which is also international fans day as uh we've, we've been hearing a lot about on social media and and on the on the main pod um the evening before Roker report has a special recording of the podcast during the fan party at the fan museum in uh, Sunderland for those who've booked from abroad and they can attend that and all proceeds go to the mental health hub at the beacon which is run by Washington mind a fantastic initiative on match days where people can go and get a, a, a cup of tea and a, a little bit of advice a bit of a chat with a council if they need to there's a real Really great initiative. The other thing that's going on that weekend, we've got a bit of an exclusive on, is that our very own Michael Dunn from the Irish Black Cats will be representing Ireland in the halftime challenge at the Stadium of Light. So if you go into the game, give him a cheer on. He'll uh, have the Irish tricolour draped around him as a cape, I understand. Uh, he's been taking part in our running challenge and 
Well, hasn't quite got in inverted commas. Well, hasn't quite got as far as everyone else because of his bad back. So if he's limping around the pitch, uh, you know, cheer him on. He'll get there in the end and he might score a goal uh, in the North Stand. And talking of Irish Black Cats and the International Fans Day, a couple of weeks ago, I had a really nice chat with another Irish Black Cat member, Luxembourg resident and all-round raconteur, Peter Sullivan. Uh, and he's looking forward to his visit to the Stadium of Light for that special weekend. Uh, for our exiles from abroad, and we've got a fun interview with him now. And I'm joined now by Peter Sullivan. Um, how are you, Peter? Uh, hi, Rich. I'm good. I'm good. And you? I'm fine, thanks. Nice nice to speak to you. So um, you're over there in Luxembourg, but obviously I'm hearing by your accent that you're you're Irish and you're part of the Irish Black Cats. But how did you first get into sporting Sunderland? So it's kind of a funny story, I suppose. So um, I've been sporting Sunderland for nearly 20 years now. And um, how I got into them was uh, Championship Manager Tree. And um, at at home, my father was never really like into like say football, more into like Irish football, Gaelic football, and rugby. So I never really had a, a team that I was uh, forced into. I suppose is the best way to put it. So um, I kind of grew up um, just say following football really, but not having much of a team. And then afterwards, um, once I got my hands in Championship Manager Tree, got into that Sunderland team of the ninety eight ninety nine season, and then afterwards. Um, say started following the team from like say zero one zero two really and then that's that's when i say that the irish influence in that team so when he had like the likes of Kilban, quinn thomas butler mike Reddy even and just i suppose that's where my interest in sunderland came from it was a bit left field which has always been the case up to the point of uh, when i was in university and even then people were like okay you know sunderland why how <laughs> As given, especially given that um, uh, continuing, I suppose, on with the Irish influence when Mick McCarthy came in and um, we had the relegation and subsequent, say, the near promotion year and then the the actual promotion year. So, like, there's always been that kind of Irish influence in it, which has kind of kept, not only just kept me interested, but, like, say, actually um, made it a bit more kind of tangible that you had someone uh, to support along with, uh, along with, say, Sunderland themselves. It's a great era to get into Sunderland, isn't it? Uh, at, at that time, I mean, I I didn't have much choice. I got into, um, you know, brought along as a kid to to Rucker Park in the uh, late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. But it must have been exciting getting into Sunderland at that time with you know the big names and and that Irish connection, which is which yeah. has always kind of been there in one yeah. way or another, ever yeah. almost ever since really. I mean, when I when I was a kid, it was Anton Rogan was the Irish. The Irish player in the in the team uh, at left back. I don't know if you remember him, but no, um, no, okay, no, <laughs> that was going back to the kind of the early mid nineteen nineties. But yeah, we've always had that connection, haven't we? It's so, Charlie Hurley as well, exactly. Yeah, so well, like, absolutely. You know, there's, there's always been like say um, uh, Paul Butter as well, like just a name, another name, like so. And uh, so there's it, 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 that I suppose kind of following on from there with, when the uh, Drummerville Association came into it and everything like with Roy Keane actually have a if you don't mind I have a funny story about. Um, oh, go a, ahead, go ahead. <laughs> um, so in two, it was 2006, um, I went to get my first Sunderland jersey. It was a Lonsdale Reg Vardy jersey. So like it was still kind of still kind of iconic and I remember um, it. like absolutely fantastic jersey. Like say the um, especially with the Reg Vardy. But I went into a shop in in Cork City called uh, Football Crazy, and I went into the guy and I said, 
I want to get a Sunderland jersey. So the guy kind of looked at me and he's like, Sunderland, you know, you've had like, say, two fairly bad years, like <laughs> in a row over the last couple of years. What are you doing as a Sunderland fan? I said to him, look, yo, can you get me a jersey? Like, I don't know, like if I can get like, this is probably Lee before the whole like say the likes of like ebay and amazon and everything kind of really like say started up in a big way so it was quite hard to get things online and he said he had to order at least enough shirts that he'd had to fill a rack and he'd never sell them so he said there's no point so i got my shirt directly from sunderland uh itself and um that was okay about two months later ryan key takes over breaking being a cork man a proud corkman he uh basically uh sunderland uh took over cork city and it went back to football crazy afterwards and they had about say half the shop was was basically Sunderland paraphernalia a dummy in the front of the shirt with a Sunderland shirt on home and away and uh, even Jet 2 started flying to Newcastle from Cork so yeah. <laughs> that made it a lot easier then did it I remember back then I had a half island half Sunderland shirt that I think Love Supreme put out oh uh, okay and and I had a couple of uh, I had a couple of Niall Quinn court t-shirts as well green some of which i've still got in my drawer uh actually so yeah that that what a what a great time to be an irish sunderland fan mm. and it just lands on your doorstep here, over there in cork exactly um kind of ironically because i never had really anyone to go to the games uh, or to uh, with me like because say, since we kind of split our time between um, say kind of a bit of championship and then once we kind of finally consolidated in the premiership I, I, I suppose at that time since I was still in university was going to like say working weekends and um, staying with friends it was kind of it was quite hard to to uh, to get over to the Stadium of Light really so like say in my case my only time I've actually ever been to the Stadium of Light was uh, St. Patrick's weekend in 2007 and uh, when uh, we beat Hall 2-0 my uh, my girlfriend at the town at the time, my now wife, uh, bought me a Christmas present to go over to the games because I was always complaining that I could never find anyone to to go to like a championship game because no one had any any interest. And um, so he had friends who were Liverpool fans, my United fans, Spurs fans. So like it was it was it was always hard. But then uh, so I went to see that game two 0 when uh, Johnny Evans and John Stern John scored uh, scored the two goals and. Um, you know, we're just on a great run, which is kind of maybe kind of reminiscent of, like, say, last year when we kind of went on a, a bit of an unbeaten run coming up to the end of the season. And this year, hopefully now with our, our, um, a good run of form, I suppose, that we hope that we can get something going up until the end of the year. But um, that's going to, I suppose, kind of brings me on to the, the Irish Black Cats, where they've, um, like, say, I went... Uh, since I've been in Luxembourg since to, in 2010, it's made it even harder to get to games because there's no real direct flights to Newcastle or yeah, I, I have to go to Manchester or Edinburgh so, um, or London. So like um, with the Black Cats now, the Irish Black Cats, uh, I've been to, to, to Rochdale, to Bolton, to Wembley, uh, going to Ipswich now in a couple of weeks. So it's uh, it's been nice to, to be able to have that, um, say, kind of ability to <laughs> just have people that you know that have similar interests you can go to the game with, you know. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the great things about our branches and supporter groups around around the world is is the social element. I'm I'm actually in the process of setting up a, a one in Wales, um, very tentatively at the minute because you know you, you it's not just the the, the travelling, it's the camaraderie, it's having someone to offload exactly. to, yeah. and 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 the nights out. I, I gather you have some some decent nights out when you're on these away days. Um, I bumped into uh, Michael Dunn, uh, who's who's one of our 
our contributors, who's an Irish black cat as well, in, in the uh, concourse in, uh, at Bolton at that miserable mm. day um, in, in late summer. Well, it wasn't a miserable day uh, weather-wise, was it? But it was a miserable no, game. <laughs> a game um, of soccer, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I take it you've had, a, you've had a good time that weekend. We did. Like, it's it's been funny for, like, getting a bunch of guys together who didn't really know each other. And we only really met through, like, say, WhatsApp. In my case, I saw... Back in, I think, when was it? Back in September, maybe, or even before that, there was a Roke report ran a Let's Meet the Branches in, in there. Like they had an interview with with, uh, with Mike, uh, Michael Dunn, and he was just saying that we're setting this up. And if people want to get interested or contact us, email us and send him an email. And then afterwards, it was added to a WhatsApp group. And then I think the WhatsApp group went from initially, say, five or 10 guys to where we have maybe, say, closer to 50 people now. Wow, and yeah, it's massive. It's 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 funny. Like we have literally have fans in Ireland from, like, say, Donegal. Myself originally from West Cork. Another another West Cork one as well. Um, who's not too far away from me. Um, just Dublin, all over the place. Um, really in Ireland, which is it's 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 fantastic. Like to see how and like say these, it's it's and it's not just say fans that are uh, people that are having following Sunderland for the last twenty thirty years or so. There's like when I went to Wembley to get to meet fans who've been only fans for the last five, six years. And I'm just thinking to myself, how and why <laughs> did you, <laughs> you know, and it's not just family connections. They have different reasons, you know. So it's been fascinating to like say again, like I say, to meet these guys just because we have a common connection that you just you meet up and like say I've made some great friends out of it so far. And like really looking forward to the Ipswich trip now where we'll have the uh, the international, I think it's the international day. Like say again, everyone will meet up to meet up with even other other branches and other and other fans, which will be fantastic. The club are putting together a, a, a kind of a full programme for you that weekend, aren't they? Yes, they are. So, like, that's something that's really interesting. Like, so that's um, and it's something that I think there's going to be a lot of fans that are going to be like, say, from from our from our side, they're going to be traveling over. It's it's always nice to have, like, say, an away day, especially, but like, say, having it at the stadium of light as well. And hopefully, like, say, if we can keep the current run of form going, it should be good fun. So you live in Luxembourg at the moment, which is a little bit yeah. out of the way, and I think you're the first Luxembourger um, resident that we that we've had on, and maybe the maybe the last, but you never know so uh, do you, how do you follow along from there do you, are there other Sunderland fans that you've met up with to watch games what is there is there, is there a, a scene there I've so I've been here 10 years and I think I've come across maybe say five other Sunderland fans so, so we've always been a bit of a a bit of a niche club, I suppose. Like so, like I've come across pretty much every other uh, Premiership club or fans of nearly every other Premiership club over here. But there's, I say, at the moment there's um, just three of us anyway that would meet uh, for if there's games on TV like that, or that we would have seen um, known each other over the last number of years that we would have gone to watch a couple of games together. But I think like the fact now that we've dropped into into League One, it really has kind of say galvanised um, the the fan base uh, here like that. We're saying that you know, okay, maybe the games aren't as accessible. So when they're on TV, you really do appreciate when you can actually watch them on TV in this case. So we normally have been meeting up in an Irish bar called uh, The Pig. And um, we just, like, say a couple of days beforehand, we tell them, look, can you stick on the Sunderland game? Like last year when we had the run in the, um, in the, the not the Caribou Cup, the, the Checker Trade Trophy. That's, that, yeah, exactly. Like all the, the, say, the two semifinals and uh, the final, everything was, they were, uh, more than happy to stick those on the telly for us. And then when the other couple of games were on, uh, like playoff games or other games that were on um, 
on Sky Sports, like the Doncaster game coming up now, they'll 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 put that on for us as well. Like so, and like it's just again because you'd have other people who just have an interest in soccer will just watch the games and then you kind of get talking about Sunderland and. There is, um, there was a sorry, a guy that was from um, from Gateshead who owned a bar over here in Luxembourg, which was just a real uh, <laughs> homage to Newcastle. I'll put it, I'll put it like that. But um, so, like, we used to kind of meet up with other, like, say, Newcastle fans as well. Like, and you just have a bit of banter back and forth, you know. So, like, especially with the owner, like, so he was, uh, it was always good fun, you know. Like, say, um, I could say the sooner, hopefully, we get the the derby games back again, the better, because. Again, like say, you know, when you're not when you're not at the games and you can just be with the other fans, I think people kind of, you know, it's great when you win, but if you, it's nice to have like other people that you can kind of have a bit of have a bit of crack with as well. So. Absolutely, I mean, we've with that's a common theme that's come through some of the interviews that we've done with people around the world is that actually when when it comes to derbies, um, people are meeting up in you know places and and. and having friendly banter with with Newcastle fans in a way that maybe in the in the UK we don't we don't necessarily have that all, all, all the time um so so I understand that you've met up with a few kind of legendary players in your time and uh and yeah. I've, got a, I've got a couple of of stories that you, you you might be able to regale to us and uh that the listeners might find interesting yeah, I, I have. I will two two actually that I have. Um, one is um, uh, say from one of the other Sunderland fans that uh, uh, that I know, um, Ben Embleton. He um, was in school with uh, with Luke Ball, and um, he he was had a story about uh, when he was playing in the school's uh, soccer soccer team, and um, uh, when Kevin was uh, was injured and. Um, uh, watching one of the games and uh, uh, on crutches, and apparently I think disagreed with uh, one of the decisions and made his way onto the pitch with his with his crutches to discuss it with the referee as he does in a, a, a very I imagine eloquent manner as he would. And um, so another story I say that I have personally was um, a number of years ago. Uh, Niall Quinn uh, was over at um, an Irish Luxembourg Chamber of Commerce he uh, meeting. He as a, a speak guest speaker. So. He was uh, working as chairman of our director uh, on the board of directors of a satellite company, and he was over here for a couple of business meetings. And so, like, I'm in a room there with other other guys, like, say, there's directors of companies, CEOs, and um, other kind of big dogs, and then myself and a, myself and a couple of other, like, say, the Sunderland fans, and just other people in general who would be interested in, in seeing Niall. And afterwards, after he did his speech, and like the speech, like, say, that he's absolutely excellent talker. He is, isn't um, he? I heard him. I heard him earlier in the yeah. year. Yeah, he's he's just such a great storyteller, isn't he? He is, and he just has a way with people as well. That you know, in this case, say I went up afterwards. He was just shaking hands with people before they had a kind of like a a formal drinks function afterwards, and a couple of people were just coming up and saying, "Look, I just want to say hello to you, and you know, nice to meet you, and whatnot." So. And he was, say, like dealing with people, like I said, you know, who would be kind of, um, you know, quite high up in some companies over here um, and able to talk as well, uh, talk with them as well as as when I went up um, to him. And then the conversation obviously was a bit different from business to uh, <laughs> giving him my um, my, my, my Sunderland jersey, the, the, the red charity jersey to, to sign. It was it was actually it was a lovely moment. He just um, picked up the jersey and. He looked at it for about, I'd say, about 30 seconds and was just intently staring at the jersey. And he was like, Red Friday, wow, I haven't seen one of these for years. 
<laughs> and um, I think he just brought the memories back, you know. And um, I had a good, say, chat with him for about 15 or 20 minutes um, at the time. And uh, again, he was just talking about everything. It was actually interesting what he made uh, at the time, I think, was that Dave Moyes was the manager. So he was, uh, I asked him about what do you think of Boise? And he, was, uh, he wasn't too um, enamored and made a reference to Ella Short as the American. So I, Again, I don't know what kind of like said. I didn't go into too much detail with him because I said that um, it's <laughs> we could be here all night. But again, he went around in the reception talking to different people. And at the, at the end of the reception, he was kind of when people were ambling away. I said, you know, do you want to stay for have a few more few more drinks? And you know, no, no, I have meetings in the morning. I can't. I'm sorry. And I was like, OK, that's grand. But before you go, can I ask you one question? And he said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So at this stage now, like it's half 11. So he's like, I'm staying in a hotel where, the, where he did the talk. And he was thinking to himself, I need to go to bed. I need to just get out of here. Like, And um, I said, when you scored at, uh, in in in, um, in St. James's Park in, in the rain, and when Kevin Phillips got the, the, the chip, what did you feel walking off the pitch? And I swear to God, it was just like, he was like a schoolgirl, kind of like say, it was just fun, kind of not giggly, but just, and we talked for another half an hour about wow. just Sunderland you know he just he just loves talking about Sunderland brilliant absolutely brilliant you know and I got to tell this is this is a story about my favorite player and I got to tell um the same player on a Twitter Q&A um about <laughs> go on this. then so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> myself my, my wife we said that um if and when we ever have kids that um so my wife is a fanatical to say the least harry potter fan so she always said that if we if and when we ever have kids that we'd give them harry potter first names and i said you know what i'm absolutely delighted to do that no problem whatsoever on one condition so she said okay what's the condition and she said that i said to her sorry uh you can call them harry hermione ron whatever as long as their second name when they're baptized would be Julio Arca the second, Julio Arca the third, Julio Arca. So you could have Harry, Julio Arca, Flynn Sullivan. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> for an Irish kid <laughs> being called Julio, maybe, maybe not the, maybe not the best. So, so we, um, about say, uh, nearly, nearly, uh, nearly three years ago, we got a, a French bulldog and um, we decided to call him AJ, and it's not after all Adam Johnson, but um, rather no, no, uh, no, no, no uh, Albus Julio. Oh, wonderful, so, Albus Julio. So everyone calls him uh, AJ, but uh, yeah, so we said we'd just get it out of the way with the dog, so now we can come up with some other names. But um, so yeah, AJ is our lovely um, uh, two and a half year old uh, French bulldog, um, Albus Julio, or AJ as everyone calls him because it's a bit weird to call him the full name. <laughs> Do you get funny le- funny looks when you go to the, the vets? Well, on he, on his um, uh, say his 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 passport and and normally everyone just calls him AJ, but like say uh, like on his passport he's given his full name of um, Albus Julio and um, then afterwards in brackets AJ. So to say, look, just just call him AJ. It's easier, I think. You know, it's funny, isn't it, how Sunderland permeates your life like that. And, uh, exactly. and, like, yeah. and how, how did Julio react when, when you told him on the, the Q&A? <laughs> Just laughing and said, you know, like, uh, thank you. It's an honor to, to name your dog after me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, Peter, and we uh, we look forward to welcoming you to uh, the Stadium of Light, the Ipswich match. I'm not absolutely sure that I'm going to get up for that. I may well try my hardest, but it's not always easy for me uh, to get the uh, four and a half hours uh, up from, from North West Wales to, mm, to Thunderland yeah. for a weekend, but yeah. I'm, I think I might try. So, um, lovely to speak to you, and yeah, cheers for your time. Thanks, Rich. Thanks very much. So that was uh, a really nice chat I had there with Pete, uh, a lovely guy. And uh, yeah, he had some interesting perspectives on, on Sunderland and, and off air, some interesting perspectives on the ownership of the club as well. But I thought it was really interesting that he picked up supporting Sunderland from playing championship manager or football manager. It's been Has it been a while since you two have played that game? I haven't played since, I think, 2001 when I, it was a choice between... Um, University or uh, Champman, and reluctantly I had to give up Champman. Yeah, do you play the game? Have you uh, picked up any clubs or any affections for a club from uh, your days playing Champman? More players. It's, it's more the players I remember. So, like, I think James Ward Prowse was captain of my Scunthorpe team that were battling out for promotion to the Premier League. And then when he broke through at Southampton a few years later, I was like, oh, get in, get in. I, I had very fond memories of him being my uh, free kick taker back in the day. Um, but the problem with teams is, like, I'll go on a good save them in football manager and then Sunderland will play them and I'll be like oh my god I can't believe I like this lot there their fans are awful oh Bury was ruined for me once Sunderland played to them and lost to them but yeah no it's it's, it's more the players I remember that, that helped me along the way how about you Bomber? yeah I'm the, I'm, yeah, I'm the same so I, I'm I remember that like the mid 90s championship manager people That's like Alex Anderson era. yeah oh, yeah, Alex yeah. Anderson, you know, was like attacking midfielder midfielder striker left right center across the pitch but no i've got i've got i've not played in a while admittedly i did download the latest football manager for mobile played it for about 2 days and then proceeded to break my mobile so i don't have it at the moment but i've got two kind of memories of football manager championship manager one was when i first bought the game for some reason decided to manage northwich victoria and managed to take them up to i think it was like the championship and i wasted so many hours of my life on that so that's that's my one memory the, the second one is i was more i like to obviously e- edit the game as well so i remember again when i was probably in my late teens spending hours and hours creating my the local football team that I play for, creating them on one of the championship manager or football manager and um, giving myself 99 stats on everything. Uh, so I was by far and away the best player in the team, uh, scored something like 80 goals in a season and started off in the conference north and worked away at consecutive promotions to into the Premier League. And I think I was top goal scorer in all six or seven uh, seasons, uh, which makes playing the game a bit pointless, but it boosted my ego. So I think I used to do something similar as well. Yeah, my, yeah. my abiding memory is I used to like going in obscure leagues, and back then an obscure league for me was the the Welsh leagues, and I picked up uh, Bangor City, who then I, I've moved to the area and I started to go and watch as soon as I moved down here, which was a bit strange, but I'd edited them. So, you know, they had like, you could actually sign players and so people would come, you had a bit of money to spend. And I think I took them, I think we got quite far through the, the UEFA Cup back in the day. Um, and uh, it's funny now because they're doing a bit of a champ, man. There's a, I'm part of a, 
a Phoenix club or a, a protest club called Bangor 1876. I'm a member and a shareholder. I'm doing some fan media with them as well, hopefully. And uh, we're going going up from the fifth tier in Welsh football, scoring 80 goals. I mean, they've scored 100 and odd goals already in 16 games. So that's a bit of a champ man style uh, fantasy football uh, experiment we're doing there. Um, yeah, well, that's championship manager editor there, isn't it? It is definitely, and they've got you know they've got all the club legend and everything. It is like someone's gone in and and uh, <laughs> created a, a fantasy um, Bangor City team. So um, talking of fantasy games, we've got playing away coming up. Got a, a nice one for you today. A classic game from not that long ago. I give you the heads up here. There's a he who shall not be named was playing on the right wing. So if you can guess who was sub four, you get the point. But you know that. There's one player there um, who we're not who we're not going to be mentioning, but the the game we're looking at was played on the first of February 2014. It was Newcastle United nil, Sunderland three, in the Premier League at St James's Park with Poirier in charge. Oh, um, that's a game. So, so uh, get googling. <laughs> um, so here are the the new league tweak rules, and we will actually stick by them, unlike Brett when he was doing this last week. I've got my 15-second timer. I'll get it up on my phone now. I think a duck noise should come out of my phone, actually, <laughs> um, when, when we've done this. The newly tweaked rules are it, uh, you take turns to name a player, but you get a 15-second limit on your goal, and I'm going to enforce that ruthlessly with a duck noise, like I said. You get two lives each, Jimmy, because uh, you've never played this before. If you name a sub, you don't lose a life, but you no longer have another go, so it moves on to the next player. The last man standing gets two points, and if you're both still in the game when all of the players are, are named, you both get one point in our as-yet-undefined league. And really, we should be giving each game a difficulty rating. I think this one's a bit of a three out of ten, because we are only talking six years ago, even yeah. though it does seem like a lifetime ago it now. Does. Um, so, Jimmy, I'm going to give you the honour of going first because uh, this is your first go. So I'm going to start the clock now. Yeah, remember remember the game very well. Remember Great. the game very well. We'll start with, it might have been his debut. If not, it was definitely his coming out party for Sunderland. Two, in one, Brog, Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cut, just, just cut fine, Jimmy. Jesus, that was very, very close. Are we still getting a duck noise? We are. It's not cancelling. Stop that chaos here. But Liam Brigcut was definitely in the team. Right, bomber, your go, mate. Uh, so as per last week, I'm going to try and pick some of the the low hanging fruit. So I'm going to go goalkeeper Jordan Pickford. Jordan Pickford Ooh. was not in the team. Oh. So bomber loses a life. Jordan this Pickford could be the quickest game ever. Oh, no. No, no, it wasn't. Don't name no, it, it because you'd be giving it away. Right, Jimmy, your second goal, mate, in the second round. Yeah, I'll go for Fabio Barini. Fabio Barini was there. Well done. So you've got two. You're two for nil on this. Uh, Bomber, your second round goal starts now. Uh, Vito, then. It was. It was Vito. Oh, I'm so angry with myself. Well, you should be. Um, Jimmy, your goal, mate. Yeah, um, I'll keep on picking off the goal scorers. Uh, Jack Colback. He was there, the uh, little traitor. He's there, yeah. <laughs> Where is he now? Has he got another contract with somebody else or is I he think, still sat in, I think on their bench? I think he's still there, isn't he? Oh, dear. Anyway. He was at Forest last year, but yes, sorry, Carol. So uh, it's 3-1, Bomber. 
you got to get this, or you're going to be yeah, I know. trailing behind. It's the, it's the pressure of uh, only having two of us. Uh, John O'Shea. Yes, John O'Shea is in, in the uh, centre of defence there. Excellent. Uh, cool. Right, Jimmy, your go. I think this was maybe his best game for us. That will fill him away. I'm almost certain it was Alstor up front. It was. That's not. That's one I wouldn't have got, I don't think. Just because I'm trying to write him from my memory. Bomber, your go. Oh, I don't like this pressure. I don't like it coming around to me so quickly. Uh, Seb. Seb Larson is our wonderful replacement for he shall not be named. Well done. Jimmy, your go. Right, it's getting a little bit harder. I think Wes Brown was the other centre-back, though. He was, yes. Yes, you're, you're still you're still winning here, Bomber. This is for, to go 5-4. So we've got goalkeeper, two centre-backs, a centre-midfielder, striker. Uh, Lee, Lee Barry. Um, Lee Barry Catamull no, was not yeah. in the squad, oh, no. and yeah. Bomber is out. You bombed of Bomber the, with of all the people. Lost Lee Catamull and Jordan Pickford should be two of the mainstays in a, in any squad. Pickford was a baby then. Yeah, yeah man, he would have yeah. been like in the non-league. Well, they're still being in school. So, uh, Jimmy, do you want to do you want to try and run through the rest of the team then? Because I'm not going to give Bomber the goal. Yeah, Alonso's Alonso's Alonso, definitely yeah. back. That used to be my wallpaper of them celebrating Barini's penalty. Um, I don't know who the third centre mid is. I'd guess Key. Key, yeah. Get in. So I'm missing the right back, and then we've done it. Um, I've got to guess Bardo. I'm not sure about Bardsley. Jimmy's too good at this. Oh, of course. Too good. Too so good. So obvious. Good. Oh, God. I think. Sake. I think as as you had all those free shots, I think you've won that. Well, eight three, in the end. So uh, yeah, well done, Jimmy, on your debut. Uh, p- Fine, fine debut performance. It's a right. morning. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> so, right, back to our um, current matters and our promotion push. The final section of the pod this week is the preview. Looking forward to the weekend's game with Ipswich. Jimmy, this week you are talking to the Blue Monday podcast and we can hear that chat right now. Hello, and I'm delighted to say I've now been joined by Rich from the Blue Monday podcast. Rich, how are you doing? Hi, Jimmy. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. Excited to talk Sunderland-Ipswich. It's a it's a big old game in League One between two promotion hopefuls. And Ipswich are an interesting team. You've obviously really been on the radar of Sunderland fans all season as a team that could be champions, that could be going up this season. And I sort of really wanted to start by touching base and get a sense of how confident Ipswich fans are that promotion is achievable this season. I'm glad, firstly, I'm glad you're excited for the for the game on Saturday. I, I describe myself more as apprehensive, um, and it's a long way to go. At least I, I'm Midlands-based, so I don't have the yeah. whole journey from Ipswich, so I'm quite fortunate, but still a long way. And um, you'll have seen from our, our record, perhaps, or our recent games, we just don't beat the teams around us, um, down as maybe to eighth or ninth. So, um, yeah, very apprehensive about Saturday. Um as for our chances and, and promotion, it's a difficult one. I think a lot of people kind of perceive Ipswich fans when they speak to us as being kind of glass half empty. But watching us up close, um, you kind of really struggle to get any confidence about us. We're, we're kind of very um, easy and soft to play against if you're a bit rough and don't mind... Um, you know, giving it to us and socking it to us. And quite a lot of League One teams will do that. Um, but then we'll go on an amazing run. And, you know, the start of the season was great and built up the optimism. And 
and then November, December happened. It's just, I just don't know where I stand, Jimmy. It's uh, it's crazy, but here we are, kind of in fourth position, and and uh, I guess outside Ipswich fans, you'd be going, "Well, what you got to complain about? Um, you should have seen us against Peterborough, I guess." Yeah, I, I was a bit, I was a bit like that last season where, like, yeah, and no, I've got, I've got some friends who support other teams within League One, and sort of ahead of playing Sunderland, I was like, don't expect us to be all that great because we kind of had that run sort of in October and November, where we were just sort of scraping wins together. I think we won seven in a row. And then, yeah, I sort of went over to a mate's house to watch the Wickham game. And I was like, yeah, don't don't expect us to be a League One Barcelona. And that, that was eventually the game that ended the run. But yeah, no, we had points where it was like we were winning games, but, but the underlying data suggested maybe we weren't that great and we're sort of getting by on individual quality. And you can find yourself sort of, if you do string together these wins, win these close games, maybe in a position that that the fan base don't really feel is fully justified. So I I completely get that because I had similar apprehension watching Sunderland last year, really. So at the moment, it's completely up in the air. You're not really sure whether this Ipswich team is good enough to go up, I take it. Yeah, as long as we're kind of there... um... You kind of yeah you you hold out hope. I mean we we spoke about this before we started recording about how just bizarre and crazy this league is. Like you guys were were here last season. It's the first time certainly in a lot of Ipswich supporters' lifetimes that we're in League One. And I we talked about it on our podcast that we we just don't know how to um, read matches in League One because even when we were at the start of the season and top of the league and beating most teams none of us kind of felt, or certainly on the pod felt, that we were putting in performances worthy of those results. And certainly we were putting in maybe good 45-minute spells and and sitting back for the rest of the match, perhaps. And so I, I guess I need to I need, I need to temper the kind of glass-half-empty kind of attitude that I've got with, you know, we're still there. And and again, as we talked about, um, nine of our last 13 matches are at home. And if we can win the majority of those, then by default we kind of put ourselves in a, in a good position but it it kind of feels like by hook or by crook we need to get out of this division because Ipswich fans generally myself included feel that if we don't go up um, we could be down in this division for quite a while given you know the way we're running and potentially the the good players that we do have are likely to be taken away from us by championship or Premier League teams in the summer so I think it's now or never but just to go back to your original question I don't think any of us expected promotion you know you guys had your relegation season to the championship a season before ours ours was statistically worse i know it probably felt worse for you guys but statistically ours was even worse so there's quite a big job to turn us around and and maybe the club are advocating patience i think some of us are thinking i'd rather get out of it sooner rather than later yeah yeah no you, you you're right it is quite hard to imagine a season worse than Sunderland, Simon Grayson, Chris Coleman, relegation special because that was, yeah, that was a disaster. That was, <laughs> that was so bad and and it, it just just so completely utterly depressing. So yeah, to have to have topped that certainly some effort. You touched on it a bit earlier, Rich. Um, you've lost your last two. Is is there what's sort of the explanation for that one? I mean, obviously it was against quality teams that you've lost to in in Peterborough most recently and. Rotherham in the game of before but is there any sort of worrying trends that have emerged that we might be able to exploit 
I, the worrying trend, put simply, is is what I mentioned before, is that we just don't seem to be able to to beat the teams around us. Apart from Fleetwood, who I believe were in the top six when we beat them um, earlier in the year, um, we haven't beaten a single team around us. Um, I mentioned November, December. That was a really tricky period for us where um, Lambert rotated almost seemingly on a on a minute-by-minute minute basis. We were changing formations and inconsistent team selections. And it took us a while to get back on track and we got thumped by Lincoln over Christmas and then found a, a bit more of a solid formation. We started, We went to a three at the back and had two up front and it worked. You know, Wickham, we put in a good performance, maybe should have won um, and put a, together a string of wins um, after that. And then I think probably, I don't know whether it was obstinate or maybe it was complacency, used the same system against Rotherham, who had done a num- number of support right during the season and were quite physical, quite direct. And we thought that we could turn up to their place and and kind of do what we'd done to the likes of Tranmere, Accrington. Um, and and we, we got found out and Peterborough was the same. And, and I go back to this kind of mental um, fragility. I, I think there's definitely something to be said about our heads dropping when we concede first. So if you want to tip, score first against us. Um, but in the big games, it's been a it's been a perennial struggle for Ipswich for years. You know, if it's a game on Sky or it's a game um, that needs to keep us in the division or get us into the playoffs, rest assured that Ipswich will balls it up somehow. Um, so, you know, if you guys are, what, just outside the top six, aren't you? So you've got a good chance just by your league position before even balls kicked on Saturday, I would suggest. Yeah, we had a similar trend really sort of going into Christmas. We did get the early season win on TV against Pompey, which looks better by the week and kind of been cancelled out by them turning us over last weekend. But we, we have had a few better moments on TV, but we've had a similar record of struggling. We obviously had the big win against Wickham last month, which was really our statement win under Parkinson, which which seems to propel us back into this this promotion race, no one other than Rotherham seems to want to win. You mentioned Paul Lambert's rotation. He's obviously an interesting character. He's someone who was linked fairly heavily with the Sunderland job after we sacked Simon Grayson in that god-awful championship season. And it's a weird one because at the time, I kind of saw him as maybe yesterday's man, as a guy whose career was going in one direction. I wasn't too keen on him. How's he... How's he gone in League One with you guys this year? I think so. Lambert came in um, kind of a third of the way into the season where we got relegated after um, Paul Hurst had kind of sold all of our best players and replaced them mm. with League One and League Two players <laughs> and gave him basically a, a no chance of survival. And what Lambert did, um, to his credit, um, is kind of win the PR battle with supporters and challenge the owner in a way that hadn't been done before to. You know, we we were half-arsing it a lot as a club. You know, it's um, you know, I don't know whether you've travelled to Ipswich, but it's we're in, we're kind of politely put in the arse end of nowhere. It's a remote town, <laughs> but it's a big town, um, and there's kind of a big kind of community around the club that had basically been left to kind of get on with it, and and the club didn't really care about the community. So Lambert did really good to to bring supporters back on side, um, to try and integrate the community much better. I'm not going to pretend that the football was particularly decent. There was points in that relegation season where you thought there was kind of green shoots of recovering the way that we were playing. You know, we, you guys obviously are familiar with Mick McCarthy's style of play and we'd kind of, I'd say endured is probably a bit of a harsh word, but we'd come to understand that way of playing and, and it didn't go down particularly well at Portman Road, I'm not going to lie. And so Lambert had to try and 
undo all of that and whatever stuff Hurst was doing while he was with us as well. So it's a difficult challenge, but tactically, to your point, um, we we just see inconsistency. We we kind of see a good run of form of consistency with the tactics, with decent selections, and then suddenly we'll have a defeat or a couple of defeats, and it's back to square one. They're they're kind of back to the drawing board. The players don't know what's going on. We certainly don't know what's going on, and and then we'll suddenly stumble across something. So it does feel like the jury's out on him as a tactical manager, but as I said, as a as a club manager, as someone who's trying to bring the supporters closer to to the club, he's done a he's done a good job in that re- in that respect. Yeah, no, I really can't work him out. Like I remember when he was at Norwich, and there were people who would sort of argue sports writers, sports writers I respect who were convinced he was better than Brendan Rodgers and Roberto Martinez, <laughs> and he was he was the one. And then at Villa, it started off okay. Then it all went wrong. Then they couldn't score any goals. And since then, he just seems to have got more and more dour. And the jobs he's took on seem to have gone worse and worse until Ipswich and this kind of mini revival. It looked like he was going to have and then not going to have. And I still, yeah, yeah, find it quite interesting. The tactical tweaking, that seems to be something I remember sort of him doing at Villa with not much success. Yes. And doing yeah, with definitely. quite a lot of success at Norwich where it was like, Oh, well, it was yeah, one way, can... wasn't it? The mm. Norwich, it was you knew it was one up front, and you knew that they would pack the midfield, and 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 we found to our cost, they they smashed us mm. twice that season to go up, um, straight up from from League One and through the Championship to the Premier League, and you knew exactly what you were going to get. The question was whether you could deal with the likes of Hulan, um, or whether you had the the physicalness to combat Grant Holt, um, and we certainly did that season. And then, as you say, suddenly you know he got the big move to Villa. I think he he moved to Villa at the wrong time, and to be to be fair to him, he seems to have joined clubs like Stoke and Wolves, and certainly ourselves, where we're kind of at our lowest point, where we're struggling, and that's always a difficult proposition. So, you know, we've just offered him a five-year contract. The jury's certainly out on whether that was the right decision, but you definitely feel that we need some stability, and I think probably he does as well, and hopefully it will play out for us. But at the moment, as I say, there's a little bit of pressure I think that's building that. We've been in the top six for for most of the season, and to drop out now would be a bit of a disappointing end to the season, and questions would rightly be asked. Yeah, and no, I did want to raise that five-year contract because I think it was one to people who follow the league was seen as a bit of a head scratcher because it did come sort of like you said after you've had that bit of a wobble after the excellent start to the season where you raced out into first, and it just seemed like odd timing. But is that how it's been sold by the ownership as sort of? stability a chance for Ipswich to sort of have the same manager for a prolonged period of time again and rebuilds hopefully uh, in your eyes in the championship I guess yeah I, I, that's definitely the way that the owner and our chief of football operations that is a that is a job title that exists <laughs> at Ipswich, um, has, has kind of sold it and I think I think not I, I guess as a as a neutral I guess to the Ipswich situation I can't imagine any team in this day and age, giving anyone apart from maybe Klopp a five-year contract, certainly a team that is in its lowest league position in sixty odd years in League One and, and and so on, and it seems very strange to reward that status with a such a long-term deal. I'd have said stability could be achieved with a three-year deal, with you know an extension for one or something like that. But the timing, I think, was the biggest thing. I think, and to be fair to the club and Lambert, it'd been in discussion for a while. Um, and it, it just happened to culminate at our worst point of the season so far. But 
five years seems really stupid and 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 we kind of you know we we've painted ourselves into the corner here about if we want to get rid of him you know if if our form drops off and we end up 12th i can't imagine any Ipswich fan would want or hope to see lambert in the dugout next season so it's a strange one but then it's a there's a series of these kind of decisions that we're now we're now used to as Ipswich Town fans, and and I won't talk to you guys about owners either. I think we both can feel <laughs> like each other's paid on that front. Mm, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, the 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 short term and the long term with Sunderland's been very head scratching, and yeah, the more the more we find out about our current owners, the the more worrying it gets, and I'm I'm sure it's a similar situation with yourselves. It's yeah, no, that's that's a brutal one, but yeah, and no, I think you're right. I think. Anything over four years, it becomes novel. It becomes a bit of a joke. I'm sort of thinking of Pardew's seven yes. years at Newcastle. I'm <laughs> thinking of Moyes' seven years at United. It does just sort of get to that point where it's like, well, come on. We know how modern football works. This contract isn't worth the paper it's written on. It's definitely, yeah, it definitely looks like one that, that it's more likely to go wrong than right. I mean, obviously, you'd hope from your perspective that Maybe he does rebuild his rep, maybe a mid-table in the championship and he gets poached by a Premier League boss, but more likely than not, it's going to go the other way, isn't it? I think that's, yeah, I think that's more than fair. Who've been the key players for Ipswich sort of switching tracks this year? I mean, I've heard a lot about Flynn Downs, I think Wolfenden, and someone who gets mentioned, but who in your eyes have been the best best players for Ipswich this time? Yeah, you've, you've picked the, the top two. These two will be... A, they'll be in the running for our player of the season. And B, if we stay down, they won't stay because Flynn Downs is has uh, started off um, as a kind of combative defensive midfielder, um, really good at getting stuck in there and breaking things up and didn't have a, a bad pass to kind of get things moving. But this season, I don't know if it's level below or whether he's just maturing. He's got his all-round midfield game is excellent. And he's the only player that seems to kind of, when the going gets tough, gets stuck in. Maybe him and him and Norwood, who's had a kind of an up-and-down season, but has been amongst the goals. So Downs is certainly one to look out for. He's not going to ping one in from 30 yards, but he might. He's He's got dribbling now in his game. He, he did a good run at Rotherham that kind of opened them up. Um, but his all-round game is excellent, and we fully expect him to end up in the championship at least. Wolfenden's got a lot of suitors as well, including Sheffield United. Um, uh, to Lambert's credit, um, in this kind of period where we've been at three-five-two, he's um, he's nicked some ideas from Sheffield United. I won't say it's overlapping centre backs as such, but it's the, the two centre backs, the two wide centre backs, as it were, bomb on. And Wolfenden looks comfortable anywhere on the pitch. Um, he's got a good height. Um, he's got a good range of passing, and as a defender, he knows where to be as well. And and Sheffield United, we we understand as snooping around him seemed to fit their model. And as I say, if, if we stay down, um, he will be off. And, and the, the trouble we'll then have is in League One, I don't think we can demand a massive fee, which is frustrating. And other than those two, I've mentioned Norwood briefly. Um, Jackson, Caden Jackson's had a OK campaign. But um, yeah, I think you, you, you found the right two there with, in Downs and Wolfenden. What's sort of been the secret as to, to sort of getting to where you are to getting to fourth then if it has been a case where there haven't been that many star performers I, I don't know it's a, it's a really great question and I think it's one that we've been asking throughout I, I don't want to sound disrespectful to the league but I think the league's crap and you know we've beaten the teams that you would expect us to beat um we turn up on day one and beat a Burton side you know we scraped that win but it was a counter-attacking 4-4-2 performance we just about did enough. And and I think it was the 
early on in the season, it was the quality of our squad. I think the, the not wishing to blow our own trumpet because we're not, you know, in the, we're not as big as maybe even Sunderland are, but there's definitely, a, there's the, the stature of the club and, you know, you see Alan Judge on the bench or Will Keane on the bench or, um, or Flynn Downs on the bench or James Norwood on the, starting or what have you. It's, these are names that maybe strike fear into the, the lower reaches of the league and, you know, we we saw Accrington turn up at Portman Road a few weeks ago, and and from what I understood, they were their coaches were taking pictures of the ground in Portman Roads. <laughs> had seen better days, but there's definitely the feeling that they've kind of lost before they even walked on the pitch, and that's worked in our favour. And I think slowly throughout the season, teams have realised that actually we're not we're not that difficult to play against, and maybe you don't need to give us the respect. And I mentioned Accrington at Portman Road; they did a number of us on it at their stadium earlier in the season as well. So. I think it was force of will and and just having better caliber players. I think everyone else, I'm looking at maybe Peterborough, Rother, Rotherham certainly, um, you guys, Portsmouth, have, have now clicked into gear and are a better cohesive unit than maybe we are. And I think that's probably going to be telling for the next few months. Yeah, I think I think we saw that a bit last season, not so much this year, but just by virtue of having maybe four or five match winners on the pitch and then another three to bring up off the bench really sort of turned a lot of close games in our favour. I'm thinking of sort of us scoring twice after half time to beat Shrewsbury, doing similar at Plymouth. We won a lot of close games by virtue of having more match winners. Last year, I mean, teams played okay at the Stadium of Light, but there was always that feeling that if the crowd got loud, most teams would crumble there. I think that maybe went away after Coventry scored five past us <laughs> and maybe hasn't been happening so much this season. But there's there's still, yeah, there still is that fear factor. And I think, yeah, that was, I was trying to think of differences before we started recording between Ipswich and Sunderland. I feel as if because we went down through the divisions so quickly, we didn't have the time to sort of accure 18 to 23 sort of bad championship players to above average League One players. We just had Premier League players that weren't suited to the English Football League and then sort of average League One players. We sort of missed that step because we went down the division so quickly and the squad turnover has been so high. I do sort of look at that as maybe an edge that Ipswich have on us having sort of maybe two good players for every position, whereas maybe we've got 18 to 20 good players to your 23. I'd Sort of my my novice knowledge of Ipswich, that would maybe be a theory I'd have as to, yeah, to know you might have in the promotion running. I think that I think that's fair. I think I, I think maybe that was a fairer um, remark. Maybe the first half of the season, and you know the club were very big on the fact that we had such a, a decent squad, and I think maybe that's flipped the other way now to the point where we were so complacent that we did no business in the window apart from a, a loan for a backup centre-back and actually we needed a bit of impetus and, a, and maybe some fresh faces to to liven things up and to to stop the complacency from setting in because I think certainly a lot of our supporters maybe <clears throat> think that we're better than we are you know you, and you look at the squad sheet you know there's the the team sheet that we put out and on paper great team but you know there comes a point where you need to do better than just naming the players they need to know the system and they need to um they need to and get stuck in and, and fight for the points. And I don't think we're, we're there yet. I still think we believe our hype. And I think other teams have now sussed that out. And and January would have been a good time to 
to re- address that and we decided again to do things on the cheap and not bother and i think that might end up costing us it might only cost us an automatic spot but even then as i said we're not being teams in the top six so playoffs should be something that we fear as well but yeah i think you're right about maybe the breadth of squad being maybe what we think is a, a strength and who knows maybe towards the end of the season it will be but jury's still out i say <laughs> <laughs> What areas of the squad would fans like to have seen improved? I don't think it's. Um, I think we, if we're going to persist with the the three five two formation, which I, I suspect we'll talk about Saturday's match in a bit. I, I think we might move away from purely because of injury. A bit of extra quality in depth and the wide positions. We've we've lost Luke Garbutt and Kane Vincent Young, who are both excellent players and had really excellent seasons for us whilst they were playing but in the fit, but are now missing so we lack that and certainly peter exposed that but i think going back to the point i made about characters and and what norwood brings to us norwood is a menace he's he's a he's a walking booking but he's mm-hmm. he get, he's he's something different in in league one where championship is is trying to emulate the premier league it thinks the championship thinks it needs to play pretty football and be like brentford and fulham and to an extent you know that does work out but in league one i don't think that gets you particularly far i think that's the style that we were trying to do but in the end we've we've got players trying to play the a pretty game but are being kind of you know they're having six foot you know thugs kicking the crap out of them every other week and and sometimes you need a bit of to give some of that back and i think we've just apart from maybe downs and, and norwood we don't really have a huge amount of fighters or physical presence in our in our team and i think that's that's probably the big thing that's lacking for us and again maybe it's us being complacent that we can pass our way out of the division what i would say is we can go direct sometimes and it's there's still the mccarthy ways there but we just yeah maybe a bit soft a bit naive i think is the phrase that's crept in particularly over these last two games against teams in the top six yeah, that's been a key sort of point of emphasis for Sunderland over the last two windows. I don't know whether it's actually worked, but that's definitely been a, a buzzword, sort of pace and power, more athleticism. That's definitely been something we try into sort of varying degrees of success to do is to be more League One, more streetwise. That's the word, definitely. In year two, but it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, not, it's not really worked to any great deal for us to be honest so like we should be able to mix it up on saturday but whether or not whether or not we do successfully is it's really hard to tell i just wanted to touch on norwood because obviously he was the marquee signing like you said he's sort of given you a bit of physicality scored some goals what's going on with him because i noticed he was on the bench against peterborough was that a one-off or what's the story uh, he, he was benched for the Tranmere game of all games, actually, the James Norwood derby, um, and then came <laughs> off the bench and got an assist for the winner. So um, he kind of put one to Lambert there and then was on the bench uh, the next week. Um, I don't know. He's in, he's in and out of the team. He's, as I say, he's that, definitely that presence. I think he's, again, he's a little bit over exuberant, I guess is the worst. Um, but he is, he's first time at this level. And it, tell, and it can tell from um, time to time. He's the kind of player that at the moment needs three chances to score one. And whilst you do get more than just his goal threat, you know, there are there are points that have been dropped um, because Norwood's missed an easy chance. You know, Wickham, we we drew nil, nil with at home. We had a goal disallowed. Stupid. That, uh, we, there's a whole other podcast, by the way, where we can talk about the League One officials. Mm. Um, I'll leave that for another day. Um, but 
he had a he had a header from six yards out that he just needed to get on target. I think Bristol Rovers, I think there was he scored in that one, but I think missed some easy chances as well. So I think it's just a little bit hit and miss. And then Will Keane came into the team and looked all right as well. But he's a name that we would expect to see start on Saturday purely because he came on against Peter and looked all right. Will Keane didn't have the greatest of games. And we as I say, we just need to get stuck in a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? As you say, the streetwise or have a bit more of a presence about us. And we just don't have that when it's Will Keane and, and Caden Jackson up from. So how, how do you think Lambert will approach the game given your struggles against the higher position teams in League One? You said you thought you might change formation. What what are you expecting? Will, will Ipswich look to win the game? Will it sort of be business as usual? What do you reckon? I don't know, Jimmy. That's, a, that's another good question. I And I haven't got an answer for you. I mean, I can speculate. I, I doubt we'd be three five two again, um, as I say, because we lost Garber and Guion Edwards, who is kind of the wrong version of Streetwise. He's he's got ten bookings, and basically all of them are petulant shirt pulls or dodgy slide tackles. So we don't we we're lacking options out wide, which makes me think that we'll probably go back to a four four two. We do like the two up front, um, and I'd expect, as I said, Norwood looked okay Saturday against Peterborough. I'd expect him to come in with Jackson. And after that, I couldn't tell you. And in terms of the way that we approach the game, um, I think we all set up to not lose. And I, I, my fear is that you guys will do likewise. You do well to take the game to us because I think we are hurting. Um, and I think we'll be kind of um, keep it tight and maybe maybe we'll go quite direct as well. Expect balls punted into the channels for Caden Jackson's chase. He's got pace. And when we're kind of struggling a little bit for form, we do revert to those kind of passes and Norwood's got a bit of pace about him as well. So that would be my my guess, is is a little bit more direct and um, 4-4-effing two, as we call it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely be 3-5-2. If you are trying to play balls in between our centre-backs, Willis has good pace. The other two are very slow, so that could be that could be a good joy of success. We'll, we'll definitely try and start the game quickly. We'll try and replicate what we did against Wickham. Sometimes I think by trying to play the game at a really fast tempo and get on the front foot quickly, we're a bit too wasteful with possession. We sort of can ground the game to a halt just by not keeping the ball in play often enough. But that's definitely what we'll try to do. We'll try and try and get at you, try and put right what went wrong at Portsmouth, really. And I think that'll be what we try and do. If, and if you score first as well, as I say, if, if I'm playing Ipswich, I'm doing exactly that. I'm I'm starting frenetically from minute one. I'm taking shots from all over the place. I'm trying to get the lead because if you do that, there is a good chance, even if you score after five minutes, that we just don't have enough mental kind of fortitude about us to get back into the game. So I would I'd definitely say that if I was scouting Ipswich, that would be one of the things I would note. Yeah, we've we've done a better job as well under Parkinson of turning sort of games where we get the advantage into wins. I mean, last season a big problem was we'd score first and we'd we'd sit on the lead, we or we'd let the other team come back into the game so we wouldn't really push for that second goal. But for whatever reason, whether it's luck, whether it's a slight improvement defensively, we have at least on this good run that we were on up until last weekend done a better job of protecting leads. So that would that will definitely be something that we'll be emphasising and trying to do 
whether or not we do it's a whole nother kettle of fish but but fingers crossed that will be what we do um just quickly before we go to score predictions richard i wanted to touch on the 1-1 game back all the way in august because i've really struggled to sort of get a grip on ipswich from that game because sunderland was so bad i can't work out whether ipswich were just competent that day whether ipswich were doing stuff that other teams couldn't do garbutt's goal who obviously isn't available this weekend was a very good one but it's it's tricky for me to sort of assess Ipswich based on that performance just because of how bad we were on the day was that a particularly good Ipswich showing or or what were your sort of thoughts on that game yeah I, I'd say that's one of the um, best 45 minutes I said we were a 45 minute team the first half you know we, sh- we should have been three four up at half time and I and I take the point that you guys went at it as well and Jack Ross, I don't think, had too many fixtures after after that one. You guys certainly weren't. Your away support wasn't happy at half time. But I thought we were excellent. And and the frustrating thing for us is if you could put that kind of level of performance in for maybe 60 minutes, and I'm not asking for 90, then we would have probably got a few more points on the board and and converted some draws into into victories because that game is looked back on now as two points dropped and and we chucked the you know we've got this really bad habit of giving away really silly goals and mm-hmm. and and that was a gift that we gave to you guys and, and and I would say yeah in terms of in terms of how we look at that as a performance I'd say from what you said it's a bit of both it's it was definitely a, a it, us at our best for 45 minutes and um and certainly you didn't cut it at all um and I I yeah, in, in terms of predictions and stuff like that, I can't imagine a too dissimilar scoreline on Saturday, but probably a bit of a better performance from you, I'd expect. Yeah, I mean, we we just looked all over the place. I mean, yeah, there was there was no confidence in the team. Yeah, I do remember half time because I remember thinking, how much worse does this get for Jack Ross not to be our manager on Monday? And that was only <laughs> game two of the season. I mean, he lasted a couple of months longer, but. Yeah, that that and obviously Oxford on the first day of the season really sort of made me think this guy's this not guy's not long for the job. And I mean, he he recovered a bit and they stopped. And then, yeah, yes, it's been a wild season. It's been a wild season, and that was definitely I don't know. It's a weird one because it it should have been a low point because, like you said, you should have beat us easy that day. But because we nicked the point, it's still one that we might look back on at the end of the season and think, thank God we got that undeserved point at Ipswich due to that <laughs> yeah scrappy Mick McCarthy goal would bloody love that kind of point yeah that's, a, <laughs> that's a Mick McCarthy special that is oh uh, uh, yeah yeah I remember yeah I remember when when he got sacked from us and I think he was going to get sacked the week before he might even have been sacked after that game but we had a 1-1 with Tottenham that was just like that where they they battered us didn't get the second goal we equalized and he just looked like the most relieved man on the planet. So I think he thought, I've just saved my job here. And yeah, no, that's 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 the first memories I think of when you when you bring good old Mick up. <laughs> yeah. So um Rich, what do you reckon? Um s- score prediction for Saturday. I'm gonna go for another one one. I I, th- I, th- I think if you attack us, um then we might crumble and, and we might um it might be kind of a two or a three niller. Um, but I think the way we'll set up is to try and frustrate and break quickly on the counterattack, and therefore you never know. So I'll go with it. I'll go with a one-one, but a reversal of the kind of form of the game at Portman Road, as in we'll be the team chasing and and maybe nicking a point 
Um, and you may be being a bit frustrated, perhaps. That's what I would take. I would take that now. Um, but I'm, you know, I just don't know what to expect. This league is crazy. We are so crazy. You guys are crazy. You know, this could be a four all or something stupid like that, couldn't it? You just don't know. I'd I'd be up for that. I'd be I'd be up for this. <laughs> I take a four all. I'd I'd be up for this being the stupid game of the season. I think we're I think we're due on. I mean, it's everything sort of calmed down a bit after the despair of of autumn and winter and sort of the start of winter. And I'd if this is the stupid game, so be it. So be it. At least it's against a good team. Yeah, um, but yeah, and I'll I'll go one nil. I'm I'm getting one one vibes as well. I think yeah, you make good points about sort of us being evenly matched teams. Hopefully, we can be good front runners as we have been recently. We can get that early goal and and, and grind it out. I'll you're the home team I'll go as well. For, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go for one one nil Gooch. But yeah, I I completely agree. I think it's going to be a nip and tuck game, just just like I was expecting from Portsmouth. And and fingers crossed this time it. It goes our way. Um, Richard, Rich, thanks so much for your time this evening and good luck for the rest of the season after Saturday. Yeah, you too, mate. See you for the playoffs, eh? Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed, no playoff duties for Sunderland. Um, g- good luck if you're in them. <laughs> yeah, cheers. That was a really interesting chat there with uh, Blue Monday. So, um, score predictions for Ipswich Town. Then, are we are we feeling confident, Bomber? Uh, I would be confident of a reaction. I think, um, providing we make the changes that we feel is needed and the changes that we think should happen, um, I, there's no reason why we shouldn't be confident of a response. Uh, I just as a, a look forward, I would like to see probably Oz in for Lynch on the assumption that he's going to be out through the, that concussion protocol. I want to see Scowen in for Dobson. I want to see Lafferty in for Wyke. And I wouldn't be unhappy if Maguire started on the bench for possibly for Semenya or someone like that. Just someone with a bit of pace. So what's the um, score going to be then? The score, I think, I think we're going to be back to clean sheets. And I think we're going to be 2-0 and it's going to be Lafferty and Gooch. So what uh, What was your prediction again then, uh, uh, Jimmy? I'll, I'll go 1-0 again. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. They're coming off two defeats. We're going to be licking our wounds a bit, and I'll say we will edge out a edge out a nervy one. Um, Willis Willis from the corner. Well, I, what I've got in my head is is a is a two-nil win as well. With uh, I think Scowen will get one on his debut and his full debut, and I think uh, Lafferty or score a screamer as well. So all there remains for me to do is to wish a safe journey to the fans who are travelling over to the city for um, the International Fans Day and I'm sure you'll enjoy the traditionally amazing Mackham hospitality when you're in town. Uh, cheers for your time this evening, lads. Thanks very yeah, much, Rich. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Uh, thanks for coming on and thanks to everyone for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Rook Report on your podcatcher of choice. Write us a review and yeah, speak to you soon. Ta-ra.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.